Father, we just commemorate your journey on this day into the holy city. Remember, Lord Jesus, the heaviness of your heart as you came into the city for the last time. Lord, as you heard the praises, as you know, there were praises that were innocent and there were praises that were false. And you heard them. And today, Lord Jesus, we just, we just commemorate the fact that you would come into our city. Lord, you would see that in our city there are those who love you and there are those who proclaim to love you who don't love you with a full heart. But Lord Jesus, you died for us all anyway. You gave your life that we might have eternal life. And may we never forget this day, Lord Jesus. And may we never cease to worship you with a pure heart. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Today is Palm Sunday, as you know. And we want to minister. I want to talk to you this morning about two kinds of hosannas. There are two kinds of hosannas in the earth, in our city, in our society. And I want to welcome you to this Palm Sunday in the midst of the church family. And I want you to know that it's a day to rejoice that Jesus obeyed the Father. Where would we be if he did not obey the Father? And it just reminds us how much that we need to have an obedience towards Father God. As we look at this, there's some things that, as we remember Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem... There's a question that comes to my mind, and the question is, what, what is to be learned from this moment in Bible history? Uh, this is our 30th year together, and every year I've preached on this Hosanna message of some sort. And I was just in prayer this week, and I was just thinking, what do you want us to learn from this message, from your journey into Jerusalem? Why Does the word of God depict it? Why did you do it? We knew that it's a journey toward the cross, but did it have to be done that way? And so what do we learn from this? Well, first we learn also, always, we learn always to see the faithfulness of Jesus to honor his father's plan. And God has a plan for each and every one of his people. How many know that? How many know that? The basic plan is that you'll receive Jesus and you'll live like Jesus. That's the plan. And from there, you move into various areas of ministry or you find charitable things to do for the kingdom of God. But God's plan is that we will accept Jesus' shed blood and that we will come into salvation and be like Jesus. That's the first thought process that we learn because I don't think that, you know, remember, we forget that Jesus had A fleshly will. How many have a will? How many know what you will do and what you will not do? We have a will. And the first thing that sometimes we forget is we think of Jesus so divine that we forget that he was robed in flesh and that he had a fleshly will. And we found that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, Lord, I... Father, I I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what? My will, but thine be done. So the first thing we learn is Jesus gets on this donkey and we never see him riding an animal. We always see him walking. This is different 
the first thing that we see is that he does it to be faithful to the Father's plan. Well, how does he know this is the Father's plan? Because in Zechariah 9.9, the prophets said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus came to what? Fulfill prophecy. So number one, he was faithful to know the Father's plan. And second, he was faithful to fulfill the Father's plan for his life and to honor the prophetic words that had gone forth. This prophecy was many, many years ago, and yet he understood the plan of the Father, that he would obey the Father's plan and do exactly what the prophets had said. Can you imagine the prophet that prophesied that? What do you think he thought? You know, sometimes we don't understand the prophetic words that God gives us. How many know what I'm saying? When we move in the gifts of the Spirit and we move in a prophetical way, we don't always understand what we're saying. And the prophets that day prophesied he's going to come. He's going to ride on an ass. He's going to go into Jerusalem and everybody's going to shout. And it was many years before it came to pass. But God's word will always come to pass. So obeying God and understanding God's plan. Now, I'm sure that Jesus had an understanding of God's plan. And yet in his flesh, he had never suffered the things that he was going to face. And he got on the donkey and they started down the road. People took off their their garments and their jackets and their stuff and they threw them in the road and they picked up the branches and they began to wave them and they began to honor him and they began to do as the prophet said. They were shouting because the king was coming. The problem is they didn't recognize his kingship. They thought a king was going to deliver them, set up a rule and rule over them and give them everything they wanted. And sometimes that's the way Christians think today. I come to Jesus. I trust Jesus. I ask him for this. I ought to have whatever I ask. Well, you know, sometimes we can ask amiss. But we never need to fail to ask. But we need to trust him in the answer. And so Jesus, he's riding into the city. And as, we, as you read this in your scriptures, you find out he's about a mile out of Jerusalem. He's in a little town called the, the House of Figs. And he comes and he pauses at the summit and he begins to weep over Jerusalem. And the reason he wept was because they didn't understand the day of their visitation. This was his last journey into Jerusalem before the cross. This is the last time that they were going to have opportunity to give worthy praise, not just lip service. But this is the last time that they would have to recognize the son of the living God in their midst. This was their hour. This was their moment of visitation. I tell you something, the United States of America has a moment. This is a visitation of God in our country. And if we don't recognize the visitation of God to our city and to our country, if we as Christians don't pray and intercede for our country, our day of visitation will pass. So today we look at the praises that were shouted as he rode in Jerusalem. There were shouts of victory. But as we meditate upon it, we find that there were two kinds of hosannas. Two kinds. 
The first kind was an innocent or a sincere or a pure praise. We see this in our society today. We see that there are saints who love God, who worship God, who go to the house of God, who tithe, who try to live an overcoming example. And then we see those that say, well, I'm saved, but I can do anything I want. And how many know what the Bible says? That everybody does what was right in their own eyes. They suffered destruction. As we look at this, we see there is the innocent or the sincere praises. And this is the praises of the children. And they join in. And the children, can you hear those childlike voices saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Matthew 21, 15 and 16. It says, and when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. Sore displeased. Children in the temple, worshiping God, raising their little tiny voices, pure, innocent voices, worshiping Jesus. And the religious leadership was displeased. We should never shut down our children. We should take our children to church, teach our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Bring them to the house of God. Let them experience the presence of God. I'm not for taking the children to church and sending them downstairs. I'm for putting them in the pew and letting them sense the anointing of God and the presence of God and the worship of God and teaching them the sacredness of God's house that they might be as these children in the temple worshiping. Bible doesn't teach they were in the temple doing crafts. I'm not against that church. But we need to teach our children to praise and to worship while we teach them all those other things, the motor skills. We need to teach them to love Jesus. And so the 16th verse, the religious leaders, they said, well, hearest thou what they say? Don't we have that kind of spirit in our world today? And Jesus replied to the scoffers. He says, have you never read Psalm 8 two? Well, actually, the scripture says, and it is Psalm 8, 2 that he quotes. Jesus saith unto them, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise? Out of the mouth of the children, we see innocence. We see sincerity. We see a praise that's not, you know, entangled with all the things of this world. Oh, if the church could respond with the power of God's word to the crisis in their life. This was a crisis in Jesus' life. He was on his way to the cross. And they were worshiping him. And some were worshiping him in purity. And the religious leaders was there to see. To see. Not to have a heart experience. And so, let us note that The enemy always wants people to see. Let me see a miracle. As Jesus was brought before Pilate and Herod. When he was brought before Herod, Herod said, Oh, I've been wanting to meet this Jesus and see a miracle. Miracles do not save you. Miracles only point to the power and the presence of God. 
What saves you is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And so the enemy saw the wonderful things that Jesus did in the midst. This was God's final effort to reveal himself to Israel. He brought Jesus in, probably on a beautiful white donkey. And as he came into the city, it was their opportunity to see the final visitation of their God. But they only saw the physical thing. They never saw the heart of God that he would give his only son for their life. It was their last opportunity to recognize the day of their visitation before the great sin of rejecting the Messiah. Oh, the innocence of children. God calls us his children. God looks for innocence and purity in us. Even the sound of the youthful voices perfected the praise. You know, somebody standing there with a nice, big, baritone, worshipful voice was not as perfect to the sound of Jesus' ear than the child that exclaimed, Oh, Hosanna, thou son of David. That childlike voice brought perfection to the Father's ear. Jesus, he loved us, but, you know, we forget that not only did Jesus love us, but God loved us. There was this power of compassion and love that even though we've heard this message for 30 years, it still stirs our spirit and it still brings up in us an emotion toward our Savior. You know, he loved us so much that he sacrificed his only son to become our Savior. He was, it was the innocence in God's heart, even though he knew that there would be those in humanity who would not serve him with a full heart, but he was still willing to send his son to die for us. And the son was still willing to come. How the heart of the father must have been blessed as, he, as the youthful voices of the children came into the throne room. In this momentous time, as Jesus came toward Jerusalem, toward the last week of his life on earth, the two types of hosannas, the innocent, the pure, the sincere, the trusting, the praises that filled the air as Jesus rode into the holy city. There was a crowd of praise. If you ever been in a great meeting of 5,000 and everybody is worshiping, it's awesome. But every voice that goes up in that crowd is not innocent or pure before God. And it's lip service. It's a shallow praise. So we have the pure praise and we have the shallow praise. Matthew 21.8 says, A great multitude spread their garments in the way. They cut down branches from the trees and they strewed them in the way. And the multitudes went before him and they followed after him. And they cried saying, Hosanna to the Son of God. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now notice the praises. They recognize who he is. They know who he is, but they have not received him into the depth of their heart. They said, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came into Jerusalem, the scripture says, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Would it not be awesome if our city could be moved at the presence of God? Oh, Jesus, move the church. 
Let the church be moved at the presence of God. Well, this word moved means shaken. The city was shaken by the coming of Christ. Does people shake when they come into your presence because Christ lives vehemently in you or in me? They were moved. They were shaken. They were disturbed. And one uh, explanation is they were agitated. What is this crowd? Who are they worshiping? Oh, that's not my priest up there. That's not that's not whoever is the religious leader of the day. Who is that that they're worshiping? And the multitude, they said, who is this? Who is this? There's still a cry in the heart of humanity today is who is Jesus? He's more than the fire escape. He's the Savior, the Son of the living God, the healer, the baptizer, the one who is coming for the church. And so they said, who is this? And verse 11 says, the multitude screamed back. Well, it doesn't say that. That's from my book. But it says, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Now, see, church, they knew him, but they didn't know him. They knew who he was. They knew the label on him. They didn't know him. There's a vast amount of them that didn't know him in their heart. And they were just going along with the crowd saying, Hosanna to the Son of God. Because that would be the same voices that would say, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon our hands. Same voice. That means there is false praise in our earth today. Mark 11.10, each, each uh, gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all say different things because they all heard different things because they were in different places as Jesus came in and they began to worship. So if we read them all, we hear all the things that they said. And Mark says, amid the praises, he heard, blessed be the kingdom of the father of our father, David. They, they thought about this. They heard Jesus' message and they thought, well, he must be him. So they, they praised him and they said, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Luke 19.37. Luke records, the doctor records. And as Jesus came nigh to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples... Revelation here, church. These people thought they were disciples. They thought they were followers of Christ. And so they shouted. Well, here's something that we learn here. It's okay to shout. Just we want to do it with a pure heart. Sometimes the church is so quiet, you wonder if we're in church. It's okay to speak his praises audibly. He loves to hear that. He's not deaf, church, but he loves to hear our audible praise. So it goes on to say that as he came to the descent of the Mount of Olives and the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. Now, the reason that they rejoiced and the reason for the loud voice, all was good. It's because they did it for the mighty works that they had seen. Again, they were going by what they saw, the outward exterior. 
You know, sometimes we say, let's go hear that evangelist because he's got all nine gifts and we'll see something. God loves it when you come to honor him with a faithful heart to desire his plan and to just worship and honor him. I tell you, a church our size, we can't keep up with the huge churches. But we can keep up in God because there is a worship and a praise and an adoration in our heart. And we can have a pure and innocent worship before God. And so it says that they praised him for the mighty works that they had seen. Church, we've seen mighty works. We've seen mighty works in this house. I'm a mighty work. You're a mighty work. We have seen God heal. We have seen God set free. We've seen God build the church, pay the mortgage. We've seen mighty works in this house. But mighty works will not get us into eternity. We must know the the Lamb of God. We must know the man that shed his blood for us. We must know him by the power of his word. If we don't read his word, we will never know him in the depth that he desires to know us. He's here. He's in the Word. And when we read the Word, we come to have a revelation of who He is. So, yes, they saw the mighty works, but the mighty works didn't affect their spirit. Mighty works, if unless it affects your spirit and brings change to your life, will not birth uh, innocent praise before God. Now, they said in verse 38, Blessed be the king. You see, all these things are true. They know he's the king. He just didn't do the kingly things that they required him to do. So he said, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Well, the religious leaders can't take it anymore. There's just too much praise going up for this individual. So the Bible says here that the Pharisees said, said amongst the multitude and said, Master, they finally squeeze through and they come up close and they say, Master, rebuke the disciples. There are those in our society today that would rebuke the praises of people because somebody doesn't praise like we do. Because somebody might be a little more loud, they might run an aisle, they might wave a branch, they might wave a flag. We should be able to worship and magnify God in the depth of our spirit, however he moves us to worship him. And so they said, Master, rebuke the disciples. Can you even imagine them coming up to the Son of the living God and speaking to him in that fashion? And demanding him to rebuke the praises. Because you know who the praises was going to? His father. He said, everything I do is to glorify the father. I come to obey the father. If you look at me, have you seen me? You've what? Seen the father. So all these praises as Jesus came into Jerusalem was directed to Jesus to glorify the father. And so Jesus, he's a little stern with him. He says, I tell you that if these hold their peace, the stones will immediately cry out. You see, they rejoiced for mighty works. They did not rejoice for the Christ that was going to die for them. They did not see the day of visitation. Now, 
This said that there was disciples in the crowd, right? The disciples are people that had been following Jesus. There are people that sat at his feet as he taught the multitudes. He taught 5,000. He fed 5,000. Taught them on two or three occasions. Many, many people. And they heard his teachings. They saw more than his miracles. They heard his word. But his word hadn't taken any depth in some of their hearts. And so they worshipped him because there was Lazarus riding close by, walking close by. And he, they, everybody knew that he raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they saw his mighty works. They heard how he healed people. How, how Lazarus came forth from the grave. And they saw these things and they praised him for his mighty works. I think that Christianity kind of does that today. They praise God when something good happens. They forget to praise him when everything doesn't go the way they want it to go. They praised him for his works, for his miracles, for the things he did. But they did not praise him for the fact that he had taught them that he was going to die for them. If they had listened to his teachings, they would have known what was going to happen. So there was two kinds of praise that day. Innocent, pure, right kind of loving praise. And there was the shallow praises. Because soon the very lips that said Hosanna to the king would say crucify him. Crucify him. Jesus was brought to Herod, as I mentioned in Luke 2314, and Herod said, no, he's not in my jurisdiction. I can't find anything wrong with him. I want to see a miracle, but other than that, I'm going to send him on to Pilate. So here in Luke 2314, he comes to Pilate, and Pilate examines him. You know, the world is examining Christianity. Can I say that again? The world is examining Christianity. Are they examining commerce? No, They're examining me. They're examining you. They're examining the temple that lives. And Pilate said, he wanted, he examined him. He says, you have brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. And behold, I having examined him before you have found no fault in this man touching those things whereof ye accuse him. Now, Pilate, He's um, a Gentile. He's not part of them. And he judged him. And he's used to judging people. And he's judging Bar... uh, Bar What's the other guy? Barabbas. He's judging Barabbas to see that he's going to be put to death. But when he gets done examining Jesus, he says, I find no fault in him. Church, we serve a Christ that there is no fault in. We have friends that we find fault in. We have family that we find fault in. Sometimes we find fault in the church. But we have a Savior who we can find no fault in. And so verse 15 there says, No, Pilate's talking. He says, You know, I don't find any fault in him, nor did Herod. For I sent you to him, and lo, nothing was worthy of death done unto him. I will chastise him and release him. Luke 23:21 but they cried saying and here we go shallow praises crucify him crucify him and Pilate said unto them three times not once but three three times 
third time. He said, why? What evil has he done? I find no cause of death in him. I will therefore chasten him and let him go. Now, Matthew twenty-seven twenty-four. We like to look at all the Gospels and see how they see this. Matthew says, when Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather a turmoil was made. This is Pilate sitting in the midst of the judgment hall with all of the accusers in front of him. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-four. Pilate sees the turmoil of the people. And so he takes water and he washes his hands before the multitude. Do you know this multitude had sign after sign after sign? But you see, they did not know Jesus in the depth of their heart. They only knew the signs on the outside. And Pilate took and he washed his hands before the multitude. And he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. Sometimes the world sees Christ more important than the church. Not too often these days. But sometimes a sinner will walk softly around the things of God while we who know him take advantage of him. And Pilate says, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Then answered all the people. These are the same voices that worshipped him and said, We know you're the son of David. We know that you are our God. And then they said, they answered and they said, This, his blood be on us and our children. Then we have done pageants in the past of this. It has been very hard for those who are doing the drama to say that passage of Scripture because we do want the blood of Jesus to be on us in a negative way. We only want it to be honest to cleanse us. And these people's heart was so hard and so, so removed from the depth of Christ's love that they didn't even care. And Jesus responds to false praise. Can I say that? He responds to false praise. Because on the cross, he sees them. They're all out there. First they praised him. Now they crucify him. They spit on him and they mock him. And he looks down from the cross in agony. Blood dripping from his head and his hands and his feet. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God so loved us, church, that he sent his only son to give unworthing, undeserving society a chance for eternal life through the blood of Jesus. Oh, that there might be praise in the house of God. Pure praise. Not just the waving of these branches today, but that every day there would be palms lifted in worship and praise. You know, why Why do we raise our hands when we worship? Because we raise them to surrender to God. 
if somebody sticks a gun in your back, you're going to go. But he's just, he just lays a nail-scarred hand upon your shoulder and desires you to lift your palms and surrender unto him. This is what's wrong in Christianity today, church, because there is no surrender to the holiness of Christ. There's no surrender to the perfection that he is before us. We can't just say, oh, I'm human. I just, yeah, I know I made a mistake. I'm human. Yes, we are human. And yes, we will make mistakes. But there needs to be a sincerity in our heart that we surrender to the Lord. We should never have to come to church and say, let's lift our hands and worship. When the worshipful song begins to come, there needs to be that in our heart that we can't hold our hands down. There's such a love and a worship and a dependence and an awesome thankfulness that we just surrender and we worship and we honor. We forget who's looking on and we forget all the elements of our world and we worship the King. It is a moment of visitation for our country. A moment when the agnostics are trying to take everything of God away from us. And church, sometimes we're like ostriches with our heads in the sand. It's happening all around us. They're aborting our babies. They're making laws that are against God. All things are happening in our society. And we're getting closer and closer to the, the, the Muslim religion. And I tell the church this this morning. We cannot look for signs and miracles. Those are good and right and fine and wonderful. But we must look to the heart of God. We must look to the heart of Christ. And we must surrender to his will and his plan for our life. What do we get out of this moment of Jesus coming into Jerusalem? Well, we see he obeys the Father. We see that he's angered when they want to stop praise. And we see that he's willing to take all of the journey to the cross for us. How awesome is that? Father, we love you today. Oh, Father God, that you might breathe your holiness into us. Father, that we must sense the joining of your Spirit within us. Lord Jesus, that we might discern our day of visitation, that we might see the tears that you wept over Jerusalem and you still weep over Des Moines, Iowa. You still weep over each one of us individually individually, as you intercede at the right hand of the Father. Oh God, may we purify our hearts that we can give innocent and worshipful praise unto you. May we wave not only these branches, but may we wave our palms in honor of all that you've done for us. With this, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray this morning as we prepare our offering for you. We pray, Lord, that we'll be faithful in our giving 
faithful in our tithe, faithful in the substance that you give to us, and we will in return give unto you because we love you and we honor your word today in Jesus' name.